All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Before we get to episode eight of the DFO Rundown podcast, we'd be remiss not to pay tribute to Walter Gretzky, Canada's original and ultimate hockey dad. The Gretzky family releasing a statement on Thursday night that Walter Gretzky passed away at the age of 82 after a nine-year battle with Parkinson's disease and other health issues. And what an incredible legacy Walter Gretzky leaves behind, not just from that humble Canadian roots in Brantford, Ontario, the backyard rink, seemingly the original backyard rink where Wayne Gretzky learned to play and learned so many things from his father, including go to where the puck will be, not where it is now. But also just in reading Wayne Gretzky's statement and his tributes to his dad over the years was just how to be a fine person. And I think Walter Gretzky personified that in so many ways, not just with his charitable efforts, but also in terms of how he treated people. You know, even at the age of 82 and the years before he passed, he was never one to shy away from an autograph or a photo. In fact, he kept his house open and regularly invited people over to see the Gretzky family shrine in the basement. You know, I was talking to one of our TSN senior producers, Mike Lane, about this. He was one of those lucky ones that got a tour of the basement. His family was in town for a minor hockey tournament with his sons, and they knew a friend of a friend that had a connection to the Gretzky family basement. And even though Walter Gretzky wasn't home, the door was open. They were invited to come in through that friend of a friend, a neighbor who also served as a caretaker. And in that basement, it was 
a museum that he didn't want to feel at all like a museum where you could try on one of Wayne Gretzky's game-worn jerseys or if you're a kid, hold the stick that Wayne Gretzky broke the NHL's all-time scoring record with. That's what he wanted everyone to feel and experience. That's why all of that stuff was there. And so at one point, Walter Gretzky, the story goes, did arrive home. And he posed for pictures. This is 17 kids and their families and siblings that were just trudging through his basement. And then he invited them one by one up for an autograph. He had a stack of Wayne Gretzky signed photos. And he personalized each one with that same handwriting that he taught Wayne with. Uh, hey, what's your name? Do you have a brother or sister? Would they like one? Would your parents like one? And he went through for literally hours until he got through everyone to make sure that they were happy and got that same experience. He just wanted to help others. And so Canada's ultimate hockey dad is gone at the age of 82. And geez, what a legacy, what a life well lived. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode eight of the DFO Rundown Podcast. I'm Jason Greger alongside Frank Saravalli in Philadelphia. And uh, we're going to do things a little bit different here for the next few Fridays uh, because we're going to focus on a lot of league issues and league rumors and things like that. And then uh, we'll get back to guests on Friday because there's so much going on, Frank. We're just over five weeks away from the trade deadline. Love it. I mean, this is the time of year. I just wish it was a little bit busier. I wish I had some sexier names for you on the trade bait board. Well, we're going to get to some of those names because there's a few teams already that are out of it. So let's get into some of the names. I saw your trade bait board and uh, I've been digging in on a few things. Um, You know, I I, I read and some people suggesting that maybe teams aren't going to be that aggressive uh, because of, uh, you know, salary. I, I I reached out to a few. Are you hearing that? Because I'm not hearing a lot of teams are leery. Like, obviously, no team wants to inherit huge money. But by the time the uh, April 12th rolls around, there's there's only you know j- less than a month remaining in the season. There's not a lot of days left of salary. Yeah, there's not. It's just under a quarter of the season, and I haven't heard that to be honest. Um, I, I think everyone's budget conscious, like everyone's hemorrhaging money this year and they're trying to do what they can. And in fact, it may, the budget constraints may cause some trades to happen. Like, you know, I was thinking about Taylor Hall and his $8 million salary and and how the Sabres are likely going to have to eat half of that in order to make him move. But if you're the Sabres and you're having this lost season where not only are you hemorrhaging money, but your team's terrible the quickest way to save a million or $2, which is like real money uh, would be to eat half and trade it. And the quicker you do it, the more you save. So I I don't know that it's going to be limiting in that sense, because you look at the grand scheme and, and if you're a true playoff team that has any sort of shot at the cup and you feel like you're acquiring a difference maker, well, you're looking at a quarter of their, their published salary and, when you're already spending 80, 82, 85, whatever your number is with long-term injury on salary, you know, you're probably not going to lose sleep over another million or $2. 
Well, plus the fact that there's 20% of escrow already taken off of that, right? So let's just say you got a million dollar player. His salary is really only 800,000. So then you're going to pay a quarter of that. So now you're down to 200,000 for the remainder of the season, if we're doing quick math on that. So it's, it is one that's interesting. So I want to get some names. I saw your trade bait board. You know, there's lots of predators on there and, and lots of Buffalo Sabres, of course. But the one guy I want to talk about a team that's not out of it, but he's not even playing. What are you hearing recently on Tony D'Angelo? He's got a big ticket at $4.8 million. There, there's, you know, he hasn't played now in a while. Does that make him less likely to be traded because he hasn't played since he was basically put on leave by the Rangers? I don't think so. I think he's been um, persona non grata for a lot of organizations that they're just not willing to take the PR hit that comes with Tony D'Angelo. You saw how toxic the story was uh, in the New York Post after Larry Brooks wrote it. And what he's looking at now is he's let the Rangers know that he's interested in going to the AHL on a loan. It's not going to be with the Rangers and their farm team in Hartford. Uh, He's going to have to go somewhere else. And the Rangers are working to facilitate that. And I always thought that would be an avenue to make that trade. You know, you bring him into your AHL team for a couple weeks you get your team and staff and personnel around him, find out what he's really like for yourself with no risk. And then if you're interested and you know that he's an impact player, there's a guy that was a 64 point defenseman over a full 82 game season last year, then you can swallow hard and make the decision to make the trade. Now it'll be unpopular. You'll take a hit um, PR wise to start, even when you agree to bring him in on a loan. But I think that's sort of his path back to the NHL and, and, and rightly or wrongly, like um, I, I don't think there's any question that Tony D'Angelo has a temper. Um, I don't think there's any question that people look at him sideways with his polit- some of his political beliefs But, um, you know, I've known Tony D'Angelo a little bit and I've done my homework and some research on who he is as a person. His teammates, for the most part, really like him and he's a good player. So um, I'd imagine that'll sort itself out. And one of the real hiccups, though, you want to talk about money, has been that the Rangers aren't willing to eat any salary because let's say they eat salary and then he gets bought out somewhere else. Um, Not only are they on the hook for it, but they're on the hook for the buyout for that portion of it as well. So it's, it's cheaper and easier for them uh, if they can't move him to buy him out after the season and move on uh, rather than to eat half and leave that lingering out there. Man, you look at him getting bought out uh, because he's under 25. You're only buying him out at a third of the salary, right? So that's a that's a big advantage. It doesn't cost you a whole bunch. Wouldn't be that big of a cap hit. So um, obviously, I think they'd like to trade him. But I think it's clear, Frank, um, I'm hearing that the return to, to give up Tony D'Angelo, you mentioned 64-point player, is not going to be what you would expect for a 64-point player. A, a team has a chance here. Now, I know that you talked about the PR risk, and it's funny. I talked to two different GMs, and I got two varying answers. W- one doesn't seem to have an issue with it, whereas another would feel like, yeah, and I, and I wonder if it matters to the market you go to. I think that's part of it. I think ownership has been part of it. I think there's been a number of GMs that have asked uh, or put ran it up the flagpole. Could we acquire Tony D'Angelo? And the answer was no. Um, so I think there's been attempts and there's definitely been conversation 
but no one's been willing to dive in to this point. And I think kind of what's most disappointing, there were a lot of different people that were drug into this, including K. Andre Miller with some inaccurate reporting. Yeah. Um, you know, if you go back, K. Andre Miller, like he was actually friends with Tony D'Angelo. And after his incident happened, K. Andre Miller with someone jumping into a chat and posting racist remarks, you know, Tony D'Angelo was one of the first people that reached out to K. Andre Miller showing a sign of support. So I think there's this narrative out there that, you know, Tony D'Angelo is this or that. He's not a racist. And I think the New York Rangers, to my knowledge and the questions that I've asked, have zero evidence of Tony D'Angelo and any sort of racist behavior. So, um, you know, I think that part of it has been put to bed, um, if not in the public sphere, then definitely privately. And I, I just think that, you know, there's for a lot of different reasons, there's a stink attached to to this. And um, Tony D'Angelo is going to have to go and and really set a new course with whoever he's dealing with likely, like we said, via loan and is going to have to build that trust factor back up before someone will actually pull the trigger and trade for him. Well, it's funny in that division, you got the Sabres, you got the Rangers and you got the devils. They're all close proximity and uh, they're all close proximity in the bottom end of the standings. The, uh, the devil's got some forwards, Frank, uh, you know, Kyle Parmeri is a consistent 20 goal scorer who can shoot. Um, you, you've got to, now Travis Ajax, maybe a little bit long in the tooth, but I'm hearing there's a lot more interest in a guy like Paul Mary. Are you hearing something different? I'm not hearing something different, but the reason why he's not on the trade bait board yet is because the New Jersey devils aren't sure what they want to do. They've had missed a number of games due to COVID almost their entire team had it at a certain point and made it onto the list. So they were short games and they started the season off actually really well. Uh, they turned some heads. They've been a scrappy team in that East division, which is really tough top to bottom with the exception of the Sabres. And they aren't ready to make any decisions yet. They want to give some extra time to see where they stand. And the other part of that is they want to build a winning culture. That's what Tom Fitzgerald is about. And they don't want to be plucking out pieces just to get a return on assets to see the competitive mode of that team sag in the meantime. And I think that's a really important point because, you know, I think about a team like Buffalo and I think about just the absolute losing culture that's existed there from the time that Tim Murray tanked to get Jack Eichel until now, that's, that has, you know, basically been the stink on that franchise. And now I think when you in New, you're in New Jersey and you haven't had success in a while and you're trying to build that back up, you've got some young players who have turned the corner um, you know, you've got a young leader, you want to keep that good feeling going as long as you can. And so they're not really ready to ship players out just yet. Now that may change. It may change in conversations that the Palmieri camp has with the devils. But to this point, I don't have any evidence that the New Jersey devils are interested and or willing to move a guy like Kyle Palmieri just yet. Well, one team, Frank, and I'm assuming the same reason you didn't have any Dallas Stars is because the Stars, they've got so many more games in hand. The problem for the Stars, they have to play like 39 games in 68 days. 
right? It's, it's ridiculous wow. for them. And they're already below 500 in the points percentage. Like I, I'm sorry for Dallas fans, but they're not making that comeback. When you've got players that are, you know, you you don't have a Ben Bishop, you don't have Tyler Sagan, you're in a tough division. Chicago just keeps rolling and shocking everybody. And then you got Tampa and Florida and Carolina. Like Dallas is so far back. I don't care how many games in hand because they got to win them all and they're not going to. And so you look at Cogliano, Como and Alexiak, all different types of players, but guys who were all in the Stanley Cup final last year. I think once Dallas makes that decision, those guys are going to be highly sought after. Yeah, I mean, look, um, they're in a position where not many teams have been. You make the Stanley Cup final and you fail to make the playoffs the next year. And I don't know that that's I don't know that I necessarily hold the same exact steadfast belief that you have that they won't make it. I still think the Florida Panthers are going to come back to earth. Obviously, Tampa is in that stratosphere and not coming back. Carolina is a really good team. But I, I think there's some wiggle room there for that last spot that I think the Stars could be competitive. And I don't know how much teams are going to be beating down your door for those players specifically. In addition to the fact that, you know, Cogliano is a really consistent player. Um, you know, Como might be a, a depth pickup for a team. Not sure where things stand with Alexiak. Um I would think that the stars would be more interested in moving if they're going to make any move, a significant piece in order to try and free up some salary cap space. And I I don't know that that's going to be possible in season. So they might be heading towards some sort of a remake. And I, I don't certainly don't want to call it a rebuild for a team that's been successful, but I wouldn't be surprised to see some bigger changes with that team in the off season, if they could find a way to do it. And not to mention, I don't think they're totally out of it because I don't think those guys that you mentioned are all that far away from coming back. Uh, I think Ben Bishop and Tyler Sagan, if I'm not mistaken, like within the next two to three weeks. Um, So that's going to be interesting to see if they can come in and make an impact right away. Well, Frank, uh, I love your optimism, uh, but uh, sorry, Stars fan. I just I, I crunch all the numbers, and it, it's such a massive hole to make up with all the games in hand. Like your your best guys got to play just so many minutes on a night to night basis. I, I think it's too tough to do. Now, uh, one other team, and you have him number one on your trade bait board, is Matthias Ekholm. Like he is a legit top four defenseman. I, I got to think there'll be lots of teams. Like when you look at, at a difference a top four defenseman can make, like. They they play more minutes than most of your forwards, except maybe two. So I look at the value of Ekholm. What do you think? Like, is a first round pick? I think a first round pick might be easier to obtain this year, Frank. And and talking to some amateur scouts because they're so uncertain about the players in this draft because they haven't seen them. And that teams might be willing to give up a, a pick higher rather. And I've heard some teams would rather try to get a pick in 2022 when you have more looks at the young players. 2022 would make more sense. Um, I haven't heard a lot of discussion about first round picks just because I don't think that many are in play. Um, you know, you said it, you think it might be easier this year because of that status. No one even really knows about the draft yet. You know, the NHL and NHLPA have been meeting all week about the draft and no determination has been made yet. But I would say that maybe Ekholm is the only player on that list that brings back a first. And part of that is because of the value that's tied to him next year at a reasonable cap hit. 
I, I haven't heard anything to suggest otherwise. Um, but you know, you mentioned Ekholm and he has some offensive flair. He struggled with production a bit this season and has recently got it going in the last week. One really key guy that's on our list at number two, top four defenseman. I like the guy that I'd be acquiring on my team is David Savard out of Columbus. You know, if they're a team that doesn't get their act together in the playoff mix, Savard if you watch the bubble closely last year, the job that he did, not just against Toronto, but also against Tampa Bay, he's a big me oh, yeah. top four shutdown defenseman that he's the type of player that is a linchpin to success. He helps you win. You can't get enough of, of players like that, that are comfortable playing, you know, 20 minutes in the regular season and 25 a night in the playoffs, his numbers go up every time he gets to the playoffs. And so he's a guy that I'd have my eye on. And I I wonder what it would take to get him out of Columbus. There haven't been any talks yet between the blue jackets and his camp on an extension. It doesn't seem likely that they'll get there. And if they're not in the mix, uh, you know, I would bet that he's a guy that's on the move. There's a few guys that you have on your board as well in the top 10. Uh, Vancouver, of course, has Bertanen and Pearson. And then you got Sam Bennett, who is healthy scratched again. Like you, you, you have to think that the, the end is near in Calgary for Bennett. Like they go, they want to try to move him. And I know his, his underlying numbers aren't great, but I wonder how much of that is a guy who just, he doesn't want to be there. He kind of thinks he knows they don't want him there. Like that's got to be a divorce that's happening sooner than later. If you're Brad tree living. I mean, we've talked about it enough, right? Like I I haven't, I can't remember a player that plays in the bottom six that has gotten this much attention about a trade request. Like I can't, I, I can't even believe that a month later we're still talking about it. And that's no, that's not a knock on Sam Bennett. It's just like, put us out of our misery already do something. And I think the flames have tried I think that they're trying to wait and see what happens if they're still in the playoff mix themselves because he is a guy who elevates when you get to the postseason. And his cap hits harder to trade for what he provides to your group. So that plus the quarantine mix, and it goes to show how difficult it is to make a trade in general. Um, I, I can tell you that the Flames specifically are looking for a right shooting winger, not just a guy that plays on the right side, but also shoots right. And they've had a little bit of a conundrum with Elias Lindholm in the sense that they love him on the top line, but they think the team is better balanced with him as a second line center. And so that creates a hole there of different guys that they've shuffled in and out all year. You've had Levo there. You've had Mangiapane there. You've had Dominic Simone. They, they can't find any sort of chemistry. They tried with some guys on cheap contracts. I think they'd be interested in poking around on a number of other different guys. But I got to tell you, I was talking to a GM today who would like to shake things up. And he goes, I would love to trade my bag of shit for someone else's bag of shit. The problem is I can't get this bag of shit here for two weeks with the quarantine. So you're like, I can't make a change if I want to. And, and I guess that makes things difficult. Plus 16 teams operating in LTIR, but still these guys are GMs and high paid managers, like find a solution that, that makes sense moving forward. And uh, Vertanen and Pearson, Pearson's an interesting one uh, for me in, in Vancouver. He like, you, you look at Toffoli when, when, when he left and what he's done in Montreal has been good. And, and Pearson's got a lot of experience, of course. 
like he, he to me is much more attractive than Vertanen, even though Vertanen's younger. But Vertanen's kind of in a similar boat to Bennett because he's got a big contract and he doesn't have a lot of production. You're right, and he he doesn't. And the knock on Jake Vertanen is his hockey IQ and his intelligence. Um, you know, teams aren't thinking that a change of scenery is going to fix that, and so. I don't know how you can find a way, you know, really what the Canucks should have done if they were interested in moving on from Jake Vertanen was to pull the trigger in the last off season when he was on the trade bait board then before, you know, going in and signing a new deal. Now with Pearson, they're going to try and take a run at re-signing him. I'm not optimistic that that's, that happens, but a guy that had 21 goals last year, you know, there would definitely be some suitors there that would be interested in a Tanner Pearson. Oh, yeah, wholeheartedly. One other thing about the draft, Frank, and I've crunched the numbers for many years. I've argued the NHL should move their draft back a year and keep five slots open for 18-year-olds if you want. We, we, we're talking pure 18-year-olds. There hasn't been more than two or three every year who go directly to the NHL anyway. So anybody arguing that it's going to limit jobs, there's, there's nothing to back that up. Because if they're that good, if they're the Connor McDavid's, Right. Or the Rasmus Dahlins, they come in fine. But even guys like Hall and others, the late birthdays, they weren't 18. So if, if you move it back and I think like this would be the perfect time to do it and scale it back because it would take a two year process. You could move the birthday from September 30th cutoff or September 15th, move it to April 15th cutoff. And then the next year you just do it to January uh, 1st or December 31st. And you're fine. Like, I, I don't understand why the NHL and the PA, like this benefits everyone because the good players are the, the, the rare 18 year olds can still get drafted early. Mm-hmm. They can get played. Everyone else has a year more of development and you could see some second and third year guys could go up and teams could make better decisions. Like I'm, I'm very perplexed why there's, there's no actual conversation. And I've talked to lots of GMs. They all agree and they think, yeah, in theory it makes sense, but no one wants to take the step to move it forward. I don't understand it. Yeah. And, you know, I actually don't have an issue with the way that it's currently constituted. I mean, and to your point, there are only two, two 18 year olds in the league this year or guys that were just drafted that have made the jump in Lafreniere and Tim Stutzla. And I could, you know, if you're right, if you were going to make the change, this is the year that you do it. I think there's a number of different obstacles in the way. Um, one being that it's a negotiation and in order to make the changes, um, if the NHL is the one proposing them, then the NHL PA would probably like something back. And I don't know that that's a game that the league is willing to play at this point. And the other part is um, there's so much, there's so many layers to this. There's, you know, the CHL transfer agreement. There's the way, um, you know, things are accrued in terms of pro service and, and hitting free agency. And there's so many things to it that, you know, I'm probably not even thinking of at the moment that make it, you know, a lot more difficult than just a snap decision. So, um, you know, lots of time to talk and think about it, but I I will say this, um, there's been lots of talk about even this year, just moving the draft back a year, just so that teams can get a better look at these players. That's not what the scouts want. The scouts think they're ready. They've been tracking these players for years it's the GMs who are betting their jobs on these picks that want to see it push back. And the truth is that the league has no, the league head office has no interest in moving it back. And I think 
the players association at this point, the union thinks that there's so much to do that there's not enough time. So there's a lot to this. Um, and, but there's been talk about that, you know, the night making it a 19 year old draft for a long time that for whatever reason has never really garnered the support that you would think might be there. Yeah. And, and even Lafreniere though, he, he's not a pure 18 year old, right? He's the late birthday. So he's technically 19 already too. So it's, he just it's he's, he's just a couple days, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's just another example of, of a guy and you know, he's not hurt by it. And, and so if you're like, Hey, look at when he's drafted, no problem. So you just make the whole league that way and you still leave it open for the rare exceptions of the elite 18 year olds. And um, you know, services accrued and everything. Most of those guys aren't turning pro anyway. And all that would happen is, you know, for the juniors, because the draft's a year later, well, then technically they could leave one year after, right? So I I don't think that would change. You wouldn't suddenly be plucking guys out of junior earlier than they have been. And so, because you still have to keep that relationship with with the major junior teams, which is your biggest developmental league still. So I do think it's something that's worthy of a conversation moving forward. And I think, I know the NHL at times is hesitant to make changes, but this is one, because the other thing, Frank, is as you move forward and you look in, in the, Imagine if if you could have suddenly 12 or 14 teams promoting a young player all summer who's going to come into their lineup rather than one or two, right? Like that creates more fan excitement. Whereas you look, you get them drafted away. They go, they're coming into your team four months later. Nowadays you draft guys and most of them, you know, aren't coming. And and even then a year, you're still only going to be a few, but there's a lot of guys that are a year, two years after. And I just think from a marketing standpoint, it could be a little bit better. But uh, we got to get our boy, uh, Ty, producer Tyler, joining us because it's another edition of uh, Buy and Sell. T-Dog, how you doing? I am good, Jason. I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm not even sure uh, if T-Dog's a <laughs> name you go by. We just threw that out there. So No, I've never been called T-Dog. The weirdest nickname I've ever gotten because of my last name is Yams, which doesn't even make sense because those three letters don't come up at any point together in my last name. But that's the weirdest nickname I've ever gotten. Gregor, oh. what was your hockey nickname growing up? Oh, just Greg's. Greg's? Yeah. And Tyler, what was yours? Uh, I just got T a lot, just the letter T. What about you, Frank? Like, Mine how can you Sarah. shorten Sarah? What was it? Sari. Sari. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Hockey nickname, so original. Or serves. <laughs> I got serves a lot, too. Yeah, serves. if you get a good one, though, like we had a buddy on our team, we called him Butch, and like his name was Jacques. He's a French guy, Jacques Goudreau. His nickname was Butch. Like, it was, that's a good nickname. <laughs> Yeah, that is a good one. All right. Jimmy Stutzla, by the way. Like, I love that they just call him Jimmy. Makes no (laughs) sense. (laughs) That's the best part. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's dig right into buy and sell. And we are going to start north of the border this week, guys. And we are going to go to Vancouver. The Canucks, you touched on them a little bit. I am saying they will go into ultimate sell mode and move out at least three pieces before the deadline. Frank, you buying or selling on that? Buying. I think that the way last year played out, you know, they pushed their chips to the middle a little bit, uh, you know, spending some assets to get Tyler to Foley, but also playing out the string with Jacob Markstrom and Chris Tana of knowing they could lose them. Uh, I think that stung when they walked and now they can't with this team being where it is, can't be in the same position again. Oh, yeah, I'm buying all the way. You look at a, at a guy like uh, Vertan and they'll try to move. I think Travis Hamanick uh, would have some value. Uh, you mentioned uh, Pearson earlier. You know, Brandon Sutter's got a pretty big contract, so they'd have to eat some money, but they probably would. Uh, yeah, they got a lot of names. The interesting one to me is, does Edler want to move at this late in his career, and d- does he move quick enough on the ice for teams to have interest in him? 
Fair enough. We'll be interesting to see what happens in Vancouver. Our next one, guys, comes from our Twitter at RecklessKelly77. He wants to know about his Washington Capitals and if they'll add a goaltender before the trade deadline here. So are you buying or selling on the idea of, of the Washington Capitals shoring up their situation between the pipes? Gregor? Yeah, I, I'm not buying that. I They'd like to. There's just not many goalies available, I think, that teams are be willing to part with. Like, I guess you got Dubnik in San Jose. I'm not sure that's a, a big upgrade. I know they've got youth there. I, I think they're going to end up sticking with it, just, you know, because I don't. I, I scoured the uh, the free agent market for for goaltenders, and there's guys like Binnington and Anderson that are pretending UFAs, but those guys are your starters on good teams. So I, I'd be surprised if they get a a goalie of substance. A goalie of substance, no. But I will buy that they're going to try to get some sort of netminder. They've got a couple weeks to figure this out. Ilya Samsonov could make life really easy for Brian McClellan, and just round back into the form that we saw for the first three quarters of last season. But at the end of the day, you've got two guys that are essentially rookies. I know Sam Sonoff was through it last year, but Vitek Vanacek, they've got a combined one plus year of experience on a roster that I picked to win the Stanley cup before the season started is now tops in the East and do you really want to risk all that on two rookie goalies that have stumbled at varying points? And I don't think they will. You, you knew it was a priority because they signed Henrik Lundqvist before the season started. That didn't work out. I was just, you know, I was wondering too, you mentioned we were talking about Vancouver and the first thing that popped to my head when I was trying to count who the three guys might be, I was wondering about Braden Holpe. Now I know that he signed, but could he go could he go back there? Could he go somewhere? Is that another piece or trade chip that the Canucks have to offer on a really thin goaltending market? There's no goalies on our trade bait board. And I wonder about a bunch of different names, but the caps also have a cap crunch. So yeah. that's the other wrinkle to this. Could be very interesting. Shout out to Reckless Kelly 77 for sending that one in. For the next one, guys, we are gonna go to the center of the hockey world in the Toronto Maple Leafs. Lots of talk that they can blame center. <laughs> so yeah, self-proclaimed center. A lot of talk that they could maybe add uh, Mikhail Granlund at the deadline, but I think the Leafs can aim higher than that, and I think they will. I think maybe even a name like Taylor Hall in Toronto. Uh, Frank, I'll start with you. Buying or selling on the Leafs, adding a significant top six winger at the deadline? Sell. Uh, just from a pure money perspective, like I don't know how they could make a cap hit like that work. It would require some serious gymnastics and it would require a piece moving the other way that also would have a serious cap hit or a significant cap hit. So I'm going to sell on that. I, I think that they're going to kick tires on a lot of different names, but I don't think they need to reinvent the wheel. This is a talented team, a deep team. I, I don't know that they need to go wild. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Frank. I'm selling on because, well, cap space, number one. But number two, I think if Tr Toronto's going to do what a lot of good teams do near the uh, trade deadline, and they're going to, I think they would add defensive depth. Not necessarily a big, sexy name, but you look at, at how much of a difference Kempney made for Washington a few years ago. No one even talked about that trade. That guy turned out to be an absolute steal for them and a huge piece of their Stanley Cup winning team. So I think Toronto will go out and look to add another defenseman. You know, I, I was watching their their third pair. Like, I don't think Dermont's a guy that uh, that's going to be a difference maker come playoff time. Lettinen doesn't have enough experience. I think they want to add a veteran to round out their top six. Going on to our fourth question here, a bit of a fun one. 
But the Vegas Golden Knights have worn those fancy old gold buckets a few times now. At first, I didn't like them, but I will admit they're growing on me, and I want to see more NHL teams have fun like that with their uniforms. Gregor, buying or selling that more NHL teams should have fun with it. Dude, I am buying this. I am locked in. Let's get more ice Jordans, I call the skates that they uh, they saw the other day. I think teams should be going, get some color coordination. Like I just like anything that adds a little difference to it. Like you think of, I brought that up on my show talking about the skates. I had so many, oh my goodness, my young kids, like people would collect them. I know you can't wear them like sneakers in the NBA, so it's not going to, you can wear them every day, but people will collect them. I'd love to see, I love the gold helmets. It's different. It's unique. It's much better than recycling some old jerseys, and some of them are just awful. So I'd rather go with spice things up. Let's get outside the box here and and look at different designs. Like imagine the Golden Knights if they all had gold skates to go with the helmets. Money, man, would look awesome and be a little bit of fun. So I'm all in on that. I'm buying too. Like there's no harm. Um, I, I think it looks good. They, you know, people were all over the Golden Knights with the white gloves a few years ago. They looked cool. Like they've had a lot of different style staples that have put that team on the map. And I think, you know, their look and their feel is a big part of it too. Like when you're talking about selling a team and there's a reason why they sell a ton of jerseys. So yeah, I'm all in. And by the way, I, I love the reverse retros, like those Minnesota wild yes. uh, North cool. stars throwbacks. Those are fire. I think there's a bunch of really good ones and I don't even mind some of the ones that I initially didn't like. Like I didn't love the Winnipeg jets one, the gray that's grown on me. Uh, I think the only truly terrible one, is, there's two of them actually. One is in Vancouver. That gradient is horrendous. The Sprite can. Yeah. That's, that's got all <laughs> two is the New York Islanders. Like, are you, were they possibly trying to tell us that those were reverse retro? Like, th- like that's the same Jersey that they've worn forever. <laughs> like there's nothing reverse or retro about it. Nice try Lou. All right, guys, last one here for you. You touched on the Minnesota wild and those beautiful reverse retros. They're hanging around with the Colorado avalanche in that West division. I say the Minnesota wild are the biggest surprise in the NHL this season. Gregor, I'll come over to you. Are you buying or selling that the Wild are the biggest surprise in the NHL? Well, no. I, as Frank will know, i got to go with my uh, my pretend <laughs> favorite team, the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, it, for, to me, it's the Chicago Blackhawks all day long this season. They Because they started out hot, and you know their special teams was carrying it. They didn't have great underlying numbers, five on five. And now they're getting better, and they've continued to win. And they're in a, they're in a division with Carolina and Florida and Tampa Bay, and they're right there with them without Taves, without Doc. You know they had a goal, to, and it's and it's both goalies, Lankin and Malcolm Subban's kind of found his game in uh, in Chicago after struggling in Vegas. So I like Minnesota. They've been hot lately. But uh, Vegas kind of just schooled them the other night. So I still think it's the Chicago Blackhawks because they have yet to slip up. They just continue to play well. Yeah, I'm going to go sell as well. Um, you heard our in our podcast with Bill Guerin earlier in the week that I had picked Dean Everson to win coach of the year. So you can't win coach of the year with a crap team. I, I saw them as a firm playoff team this year. And I would say that my real surprise this year is still the Florida Panthers. Like I don't think anyone was counting on that team to be good. I think they've done it, um, you know, just 
with a house of cards. That's what it feels like that it's waiting to blow over at any minute. And you think that, you know, next series they enter is going to be the one like, you know, previously uh, they hadn't faced the Dallas stars and then they run over the Dallas stars. And now they're a team we're talking about as having a disappointing year. I, I don't know, Chris Dreger, like where, where did he come from? (laughs) Where, like how, and Sergei Bobrovsky being as bad as he's been, their power play has been ridiculous. Their first line, they've stuck together. They're playing Jonathan Huberto less. They were had the scandal with Keith Yandel to start the year. I still don't understand how it's happening. The scandal with Keith Yandel sounds like a mixtape that's going to drop another round to buy or sell as the producer of the pod. I always need to plug something podcast related. We need some reviews. Go to iTunes, go to Spotify, write us a review. If you like the pod, give us five stars. Why not? But we need some reviews. So uh, that's my challenge to the listeners for the next couple of days here. But that ends another episode of uh, Buy or Sell on the DFO Rundown. Love it. Thanks, Ty. I love it. So, hey, yeah, uh, any review is a good review, as they say. So uh, that wraps up a unique new formula on Fridays on the show, Frank. Uh, should be a, an interesting weekend to see. And uh, we got some guests coming up on Monday. So have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.